I want to preach to you tonight about an addiction. You know, our nation is currently battling what some have called a, the opioid crisis. In 2018, for instance, 47,600 people died from overdosing on various opioids. And more recently, there has been an alarming rise in uh, deaths by exposure to fentanyl, which uh, drug uh, dealers are using to um, add to certain drugs to make them even more addictive. And there are a lot of other addictions that people can have, alcohol addiction, nicotine addiction, uh, even addiction to certain prescription drugs. And uh, it's really a huge, huge problem in our nation. When someone is addicted to something, it has control over their life. It often affects their mood, their personality, and certainly uh, their focus in the direction of their life. And with so many harmful addictions out there, it's, it's hard for us not to hear the word addiction and immediately think negative thoughts. But I want to show you at least one kind of addiction that's actually a good one. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 15. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. What does it mean to be addicted to the ministry of the saints? We hear that word addicted and we immediately think something bad, a negative thing. This is, uh, this is something that we need to fight against. So why did the translators of our Bible use the word addicted here? The word that's translated addicted in this particular verse is most often used in the sense of assigning or appointing someone to an official post. So like an appointment to uh, a government position, for example. So what's the connection here? And why did they pick a word that has such negative connotations? Well, if you do a little bit of digging into the, the language and the words, uh, and you go all the way back to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which which, by the way, is very helpful when you're looking at Bible words to go back one of those old dictionaries uh, to see what the words meant. You do understand that they edit modern dictionaries so that the words don't mean the same thing anymore. You know, it just this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but for example, if you were to look up the word marriage today in a modern dictionary, it would be something very different given for a definition than just, you know, maybe 30, 40 years ago. If you go back to the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, um, one of the possible meanings of the word addict or addiction is to addict one's self to a person, a sense borrowed from the Romans who used the word, get this, for assigning debtors in service to their creditors. So this is a very old usage of this word to say that someone was addicted in the context of being connected with another person meant that they were appointed or assigned to their service like a debtor would be to their creditor. 
Even as Proverbs says that the borrower is servant to the lender, that's the idea of the addiction here that the, in the Bible times they would use that. And you think about that illustration when someone is in, in debt to someone else and they are their servant, their master, that one person has control over their life, that one person is calling the shots, as it were. And so just like a substance addiction controls a person's life, there is an aspect of personal control here in, in this idea of addicting yourself to a person. So go back to this verse with me, and let's, with that idea in mind, let's reread what Paul says about these people. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, so this is the family of a guy named Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia that they have addicted themselves, they have put themselves in service to, they have subjected themselves to servitude, in the ministry of the saints. So apparently the house of Stephanus, these Christians in this place of Achaia, felt such a burden for serving others that they viewed themselves as debtors to other people. And so that it was said of them, they were addicted to the ministry of the saints. Now tonight, as we think about serving God and serving others and serving in our local church. I want to draw out some principles from this verse of Scripture that are very important points to help us as we serve. We'll note three different aspects of their service. First of all, why they served. Secondly, how they served. And third, who they served. Romans 12, 11 tells us, that we are not to be slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We serve God by serving others. Let's learn how we can develop the same passion and same purpose in our lives that the family of Stephanus here in 1 Corinthians 16 had. Heavenly Father, bless us as we look at your word. Give us understanding. And most importantly, Lord, help us to put it into practice that it would not just be an intellectual exercise tonight, but that we would take away very practical lessons that we could use to better serve you by better serving one another. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice with me, first of all, why they served. Why they served. We don't know a whole lot about this guy, Stephanus. He's mentioned a couple of times in the Bible. Uh, but apparently, he and his family were influential enough that the Holy Spirit uh, wanted to include them in the epistles that Paul wrote. And we find out here in 1 Corinthians 16, the first thing, that they were the firstfruits of Achaia. That is, they were saved people and they were among some of the first people to be saved in this region called Achaia. Now that is a very important point. We start with this acknowledgement, this understanding tonight, that these were saved people. They had re received the gift of salvation by grace. They had a personal relationship with God. And so to put it very simply, they served 
Because they were saved. Why did they serve? Because they were saved. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Unfortunately, many people treat it that way. Especially when it comes to church attendance. A lot of people have the idea that, that church is just about showing up and, and watching and then going home. And they don't get involved, they don't serve, they don't uh, look for opportunities to minister. They just come, they sit, they soak it up, and then they leave. That's not how God designed the Christian life to be. The Christian life is supposed to be a life of service. If you are saved, you should be a servant. Every member of the body of Christ is to be a minister. You know, we have sometimes mistakenly thought that in the, in the church and in Christianity, uh, you have certain special called people, like the pastor, like the youth pastor, like the missionary, like the evangelist, and those are the people who serve in the church. And everybody else just comes and enjoys. That's not how God wants it to be. Every, minister, every member is to be a minister. We're to be actively engaged in service because that's what saved people ought to do. And these members of the house of Stephanus were saved. And their service of others then grew out of that relationship with God. They loved and served others and were addicted to the ministry of the saints because they had a love for God and they wanted to serve Him. I want you to notice with me from Scripture how that this relationship, this love for God, first of all, provides a proper motivation for service. Why do we serve? Why do we serve one another? Why do we serve in the local church? What is our motivation? That's an important question to consider. Biblically, there is only one good answer. The reason that we serve is because we love. And we ought to serve God because we love God. And we ought to serve God by serving others whom we also love. So their relationship with God provided a proper motivation. They would not serve to please themselves or even to please other men. They served to please God. And as we serve the Lord, we have to keep this in our mind always, that what we are doing, we are not doing simply for the sake of the people around us. Whether we're talking about serving in a local church, whether we're talking about serving each other in the home, whether we're talking about on the job or in the community, we have to always remember that the one whom we serve is God Almighty. We serve Him and Him alone. Galatians 1.10, Paul said, Do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. The house of Stephanus were the first fruits of Achaia. They were saved, and they served not because they wanted the praise of men, but they served for the praise of God. Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 6 about doing religious deeds for the praise of men. He said, don't be like the hypocrites who, who like to draw attention to themselves. Like when they do their alms, they sound a trumpet that they may have the glory of men, Jesus said. He said, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. They're seeking the glory of men and you know what? They get it. But Jesus said, don't be like that. 
You do what you do in secret and you do it for the Lord. Let God see it and God will reward you openly. This, motive, this provided them with a proper motivation. Their relationship with God also provided them, number two, with proper balance. With proper balance. When you do not serve God out of a heart of love for God, it is very easy to get out of balance. Some people serve for the praise of others. Some people serve just because they like to stay busy. Honestly, some people, it's just a hobby to them. Some people serve because they like the satisfaction of seeing a job well done. And that's their, that's their reason for doing it. But if you're serving for any other reason than that you love God, you have lost sight of what is most important, and you are in danger of getting out of balance and ultimately of burning out. Turn to the book of Luke for a moment. Luke chapter 10. Now let's be reminded of a familiar story where Jesus pointed out the importance of having balance in our service. Balancing our personal walk with God and our public service for God. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is coming to visit His friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You probably know the story, but in verse number 40 of Luke 10, we pick up the narrative that says that, "...but Martha was cumbered about much serving." And came to him, that is Jesus, and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me alone to ser- left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Here's Martha. She's probably the oldest one, and therefore she's kind of the one in charge, making sure everything's taken care of. And they've got a very important guest coming to the house that day. It's the Son of God. Listen, uh, you know how it is when you've got a guest coming over. You want to make sure things are cleaned up, the meal is prepared, and things are nice. You want them to feel comfortable, and that's good. That's right. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a part of showing hospitality. Can you imagine having the Son of God coming to your house? That would be a little bit stressful. And here is Martha, and she's probably a little bit stressed out because Jesus is coming. So what, she's, what is she doing? Well, she's getting things ready and she's getting, making sure that the table's set and the, and the food is prepared and, and that everything is taken care of. But notice what verse 40 says about her service. It says she was cumbered about with it. What does it mean when it's cumber, when something is cumbersome? It means it's hard to carry, not because it's too heavy, but, but it's hard to balance it. And here she was serving with all of her heart, but she had gotten out of balance. And so she came in and she started fussing at Jesus. She said, Jesus, don't you care that she's left me to serve alone? Here was Mary. What was she doing? She was sitting down, Jesus, from Martha's point of view, doing nothing. And there are a few things more aggravating than when you're working hard and somebody's right there just watching, you know? Some people say, I love hard work. I could watch it for hours. Well, that's kind of the situation Martha felt that she was in. But notice what Jesus said. He said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful, that is worried and anxious, and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. What was Mary doing? She was taking time to fellowship with Jesus. Serving is important. But so is spending time alone with the Savior. And when you have a proper 
reason for serving, when you're doing it out of a love for God, not out of duty, not out of uh, seeking the praise of men, not because it's just a habit and you like being busy, it's something to do, but when you're doing it because you truly serve, you're truly wanting to serve God and because you love God, it helps you keep that balance. They served, the house of Stephanus served because they were saved. And that relationship with God gave them the right motive and the proper balance. But let's notice number two, how they served. It says that they were addicted to the ministry of the saints. Now we've already seen how that word addicted has the idea of of being given over to serve someone else. But that word ministry there is also very important. The word translated ministry is where our English word deacon comes from. It's a common word used in the New Testament to describe those who did the bidding of others. And for example, like those who wait on tables at a restaurant or something like that. Turn to Acts chapter 6, where the first deacons were selected in the church of Jerusalem. Acts chapter 6, the church had grown very quickly and they were trying to take care of everybody's needs, but they had a problem. There were people upset because they felt like some widows, the Grecian widows, were being neglected. And so that this would not become a distraction to the ministry of the gospel, the apostles came forward and look at verse 2, the twelve called the multitude of the disciples together. And they said, it is not reason, or in other words, it's not reasonable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Notice that phrase there. I mean, this was a very practical problem. There were hungry widows. Okay, that needs to be taken care of. So what did they say? Verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint over this business. What business? The, the business of serving tables, this practical uh, um, ministry that needed to be done. But it was what we would call a, a menial task. It was, you know, very hands-on, not very flashy, not very showy, not very exciting, but it was something that needed to be done. And so these men were known as the deacons, the ministers, the waiters of the church. The word that is translated ministry is used, as I said, many times in the New Testament, including right there in Luke chapter 10, we read a moment ago in verse 40. It was used to describe the household chores that Martha did. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. That's the word there for ministry, same same root word that's translated as serving, going around, washing the dishes, setting the table, cooking the food, making sure that everything's picked up nice and neat, that kind of stuff. This is what the house of Stephanus did. We're not talking about, you know, flashy, showy, out in front of everybody and getting all the attention and all the praise. We're talking about a lot of behind-the-scenes work, a lot of quiet work. A lot of things that may have gone unnoticed, but they did it because they loved God and they loved God's people. Now this kind of work that we're talking about, this kind of service, is characterized by three things biblically. Number one, it is humble service. Number two, it is hard work. And number three, it is happy service. That is biblical serving. First of all, biblical serving is humble work. 
You know, some people won't serve unless they can be in front of others where they can be seen and be recognized. They want the applause. They want the praise of men. They have it in their mind that, that the greatest thing ever is for people to pat them on the back and say, well done, you did a great job. Oh, I'm so proud of you. And that's why they serve. Some people won't serve unless they get lots of attention for it. Folks, that's not humble service. Now, I believe we ought to be grateful for all who serve in every capacity. I think we should give honor to whom honor is due and recognize those who deserve recognition for their service to the Lord. But we have to be uh, careful that we maintain a humble mindset. Beware when you begin to think to yourself, I really deserve more credit than I'm getting. Beware when you begin to go down that road. Someone has once said, the test of whether you are a true servant is how you, are, how you respond when you are treated like one. Luke 17 and verse 10, listen to what Jesus said here. He said, so likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded of you, say, we are unprofitable servants... We have done that which was our duty to do. Isn't that so backwards from how we usually think? We usually think, hey, I did everything I was supposed to do. Somebody ought to be patting me on the back right now. Somebody ought to be recognizing me. Somebody ought to be doing something because I did what I was supposed to do. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. When you've done everything that you were supposed to do, here's what you say. I'm an unprofitable servant. I've done my duty. And that's so backwards from what we normally think. But see, that's the heart of service that Jesus wants us to have. Not be doing it for the accolades or the attention, but to be doing it to honor the Lord. A humble servant does their job and they do it well no matter who is looking. Whether they get recognized or not, they're doing it to please God and bless others. And if nobody ever sees and nobody ever says a thing, that's okay. It's humble service. But the right kind of service, number two, is hard work. And some people will serve as long as it doesn't require too much of them. As long as it's not too hard. As long as there's not too much commitment. They will give a little bit, a token service, so that you, you can't fuss at them because they're not doing anything. They'll do something, but not too much. They serve half-heartedly, and they do just enough to give by, get by, but the rest of their life they live for themselves. They don't give God their best. They give God a little bit and then use the rest of their time and energy and resources for themselves. And it reveals that they have a slothful and a selfish attitude. Proverbs 21.25 says, The desire of, a slothful, of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. A slothful person says, Oh boy, I sure would like to have a lot of money, but I don't feel like going to work. The desire of the slothful killeth him, but his hands refuse to labor. People who refuse to put in the hard work of service to the Lord often find that they don't get out of the Christian life and certainly church ministry 
what they wish they did. They have a desire. Oh, I wish church were more fun. I wish church were more of a blessing. I wish there were more. It, it was uh, just more enjoyable to be there, but they don't get much out of it. You know why? Because they don't put much into it. You get out of church what you put into it. You put a little bit in, you'll get a little bit out. You put a lot in, you'll get a lot out. That's how it works. That's how serving God works. If all you do is sit and listen to the preaching and teaching of the Bible, let me just tell you, you're only getting part of what the ministry of the local church is all about. It's an important part, but it's only part. The rest of church ministry goes on here, there, and everywhere as we are serving one another and as we are actively working in the ministry. And so often people who are afraid to work hard and give commitment and give of their time are often the first people to complain that they don't get much out of church. Can I just give you a little tip here? If you ever get to the point where you feel like you're not getting much out of church, and you're going to get to that point, okay? There'll be times where you're going to feel that way. When you get to that point, here's a tip. Put more into it. If you don't feel like you're getting as much out of church, show up five minutes earlier, stay five minutes later for a little extra fellowship. If you feel like you're not getting much out of church, find another ministry that you can get involved in. In most cases, that's, that's probably something that could be done. If you feel like you're not getting much out of church, pay a little more attention during the Sunday school hour and during the preaching. If you're not getting much out of church, sing a little louder with the congregational songs. If you're not getting much out of church, listen while the choir is singing the choir song. Put a little more into it. And you know what you'll find? You'll start getting a little more out of it. Service should be humble. Service involves hard work. But then I think there's something to be said about serving with happiness. I I love a quote from Billy Sunday, evangelist from over 100 years ago. He said, to see some Christians, you'd think that the most important doctrine of Christianity is to have a face so long you could eat oatmeal out of a tailpipe. You know how it is. You go and you've you've been there before. You you've you've maybe had days like it yourself, but you've certainly been in a situation where you go into a room and everybody just like bless me if you can. Just no joy there. Look, we're serving the King of Kings. That's something to be happy about. Now, look, I understand. Life's, there's, there's so many problems, and there's times we're going through grief, and I, I get that. But look, by and large, our hearts should be filled with joy as we serve the Lord. Those who serve begrudgingly are not having a servant's heart. The idea of, I'll do it, but I won't like it, kind of a thing. That's not how we should serve the Lord. That doesn't honor God. Listen to what Proverbs 28, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 28, 47 says, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. That's how we're supposed to serve. Psalm 100, verse 2, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. There's some people that they're just always smiling. You know what I'm talking about. You, you've met people like that. 
Like every time you see them, they're just smiling, they're happy. And you're thinking to yourself, are they okay? But listen, if it's the joy of the Lord, yes, it's okay. And hopefully it's contagious. We need a good dose of it. And I tell you, it encourages me when I get to stand up in front of a, a room full of smiling people. It does help. Because when I will look out and I see, it can be a struggle sometimes. I have a thing, I'll do it with a choir sometimes. I'll say, all right, everybody hold up two fingers. All right. I'll put them on your chin. Now hit your elbow. There we go. See, Will did it. You can smile. If Will can smile, anybody can smile. Serve the Lord with gladness. Overall, our attitude should be one of serving the Lord joyfully. And if it, there's a lack of joy, if there's a consistent lack of joy in our service, that needs to be corrected. Something's got out of balance. Something has gone wrong. It could be that it's a Martha-type situation and you need to step back a little bit and you need to get back in balance. You need to back off of some of the public ministry and you need to focus on the private fellowship with God. Or it could be just an attitude problem in your heart. You just need to have a conversation with that person in the mirror and say, fix it, you know. But whatever it is, we should serve the Lord happily. We should serve the Lord humbly. And we should serve the Lord with hard work. We've seen why they served and, and how they served. Let's notice finally who they served. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Ministry of the saints. The ministry of a church is two-pronged. We have an outward ministry, evangelism, and we have an inward ministry, which is edification. And the focus here on this verse was how the house of Stephanus was actively involved in the ministry of edification, in serving the saints. They were primarily serving other Christians in and through their local community of believers. Now, I don't believe this should be taken as to the exclusion of evangelism. There is a time and a place for serving those outside the church and using those service ministries as a platform to preach the gospel. I think that's a good thing to do. The problem is when we get out of balance, and this is something you see frequently with the liberal denominations. They have a lot of, of helps-type ministries of, of doing this and doing that, but they're not preaching the gospel. It's all about meeting physical needs and not meeting the spiritual needs. There's a time and place for that kind of thing, but we can't neglect the gospel and we certainly can't neglect the ministry we have to one another. We have a responsibility to care for each other and we cannot neglect that. You know, in the New Testament, there are over 30 different commands that use the phrase one another. Do this to one another. Love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, exhort one another, do not begrudge one another, use hospitality one to another, and on and on and on the list goes. It's over and over again, we see it all throughout the New Testament that believers are told that we are to serve one another. Serving each other, that's what it's all about. What does serving one another do? Well, first of all, it shows the love that Jesus said would set us apart as His disciples. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. 
In Galatians 5, we read this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So serving one another in, in, in all capacities is a way that we show love. We demonstrate that we are Christ's disciples. But I want you to think about this with me. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Serving one another is also a very important part of the sanctification process. God has so designed the Christian life that we need one another and that we help one another. And as we fulfill our obligations to one another, we each are edified and we grow and we are sanctified as the Lord works in our hearts. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Here's one of those one another's. It says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Some time ago, as I was doing some Bible study, the Lord really impressed this verse on my heart in the context of the ministry of the church to inside the church to one another. You know, Everyone is responsible for their own choices. But we're responsible for how we influence others. And there have been many times that people in the church were hardened because of the deceitfulness of sin, in part because the people around them did not fulfill their obligation to exhort them properly. And so there was mutual responsibility. That person was responsible for the sinful choices they made and the people who did not exhort them properly were responsible for their negligence. You see that the process of serving one another helps us stay pure and clean and righteous and holy. It helps keep us from being hardened in, uh, to sin. And it's through mutual ministry that we are edified into the image of Christ. Let me, let me repeat that phrase, mutual ministry. I minister to you, you minister to me, we minister to one another. Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13, says that God gave certain gifted people to the church for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of of Christ. And that's what serving one another does. It helps us grow to be more like Christ. It's a vital part of the sanctification process. They say that 80% of the work done in any organization is done by 20% of the people. That's kind of a broad, generic uh, uh, statistic there, but a lot of times it proves true. And you know what happens when that occurs in a church? When you have a small portion of people doing the large majority of the work, people get burnt out. People get burnt out because there's too much output and not enough input in their life. And the result is they suffer spiritually. And we have an obligation to one another to prevent that by each doing their part so that some people don't have to do too much. And it's all about preserving that balance in the ministry. 
But most importantly, by serving each other, we are serving God. Let's look together in one more passage of Scripture. Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, Jesus told a parable to illustrate a kingdom principle. A truth about how things work in God's economy. We're going to pick up in verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee, sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? Notice verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. When we serve each other, we are serving God. And that puts a whole different perspective on it, doesn't it? That it's not so much about you and me, it's all about Him. Who did they serve? They served the saints. But by serving the saints, they were serving God. The family of Stephanus believed they were obligated to serve the saints. And they were right. And they were simply following the example of our Savior. Who Philippians 2 and verse number 7 says that He made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant. The night before Jesus was crucified, He took the opportunity to show His disciples a lesson about what it meant to be a servant like Him. And so He got up from the meal, and the Bible says that He girded Himself with a towel, and He got a water a basin of water, and He went around, and He began to wash the disciples' feet. I don't know about you, but feet are not my favorite, and that just sounds like a gross job. And in Jesus' day, that was usually the job given to the lowest servant. But Jesus did it Himself. He went around and He washed all of their feet. And in John 13, we read that after He had washed their feet and taken His garments and was set down again, He said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Let's be servants and serve like our Savior and like the family of Stephanus 
who addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I would like you to take a moment with me right now. And I want, to, I want you to consider three things. Number one, I want you to consider thanking the Lord Jesus Christ that He became a servant for us. Secondly, thanking God for the people that He has put in your life who are a blessing and a help to you, who serve you. And number three, I want you to consider asking God how you can be a better servant of others.